You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. A little bit um, to some of what you've done, and I, I, I really like love your mission statement, and I love all of, uh, like all, all of what I understand you're you're doing with this. I guess where did you get the inspiration to do this? Like, what was kind of the seed that started you off? Like, I'm always curious about um, where people start because it's always fun. You often get to see people when they're like really midstream with something or towards the end. Um, so, sort of knowing what the seed is is always uh, a, a huge curiosity for me. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, you know what? And I don't have a, I don't have a, like a super answer why it was a podcast, but what, what I, what I found, uh, so first of all, for me, um, you know, I, I studied philosophy for, you know, for years at the university and I, and I taught philosophy and, you know, so there's like the whole process of questioning for me is, I, I, it's just, I just love it. Now, I think with the podcast, what it's done is forced me into being in situations where I'm asking questions because I love doing that. And I don't know a lot of times that our society, particularly the way things are politically now or how we interact Mm -hmm. with each other, we're not like in an engaged question (laughs) society. Yeah, right. We're not. And I know I get, you know, I get the vibe from you that um, you're receptive to it. But, you know, with me, I think it was forcing myself into the position of doing that um, and related to do that, doing popular philosophy or like, you know, because for me, how people create things, why they create things, what that process is, are all kind of fun questions to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like who, you know, who you are. So. Um, and finally, uh, I, I knew nothing about how to do a podcast and sometimes I pick things that I know nothing about and that's going to be really scary, um, and then do it. And this is in the really scary, I'll go ahead and do it category. I love that. (laughs) Yes. Right. Like that whole lean in. I just, that's excellent. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, behind it. your episode 10, Zora, you're, okay. you're, you're, hey, you're, okay. you're 10. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm in, I'm absolutely in double that, digits. uh, that you know, there. there might be, <laughs> there might be some pressure around that, but no, you're, you're, you're 10. Uh, one tiny piece too was in my mind. Sometimes I want to mention some of the connections that are in my head is that, um, uh, Anya Khan who I think was episode number two, there's a connection that you were both part of the botanical burlesque, uh, the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, she has a lot of great artwork. And of course I, I I had the opportunity to talk to you there and, and, and all the wonderful things, um, that you create. So I I just kind of like to see how there's these connections of where, um, I, I encountered folks. Right. It's so great. Um, I feel like it's, it's just a very small community, um, between art and all these other things. It's like, everyone's only a few degrees apart. I've discovered this, like it it is remarkable to me. If you were to like actually put everybody on a map and start stringing together, (laughs) who knew who it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I am constantly, it's, it's funny to me that it still surprises me, but I'm constantly surprised like, oh, you know that person? How do you know them? And because everybody does 
like so many different side things. Sometimes I will know someone that somebody else also knows, but they know them through a completely different channel or avenue than I know them. And I'll learn something new about a contact that I have, like, oh, like I know them as like a jeweler. I didn't realize that like they also like headed up a tour group at the Audubon Society <laughs> on like the weekends. Right. <laughs> you know, it's wild. I, um, I, you know, and I started to think about that. Let, let's, let's delve into that. Um, during, during the, uh, the, uh, Glitter Tribe documentary, mm-hmm. the one, mm-hmm. one, one, uh, somebody had made the comment and it, this is a question that, mm-hmm. uh, really drew me like whether the performance in, in the art was, uh, was their true self mm-hmm. or, you know, was it an escape? Here's my fantasy person, and here's who 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 this is. Um, here's who I am. Um, do you think it's a kind of an either or like that, or is is it more complicated for you? Well, I think that there are as many ways to express and perform burlesque as there are people <laughs> expressing and performing burlesque. <laughs> um, I think that for some people. I've observed that they really enjoy um, adopting a very rich fantasy and living in that and really sort of being the embodiment of that. And I also see performers who I would say I probably more closely fall in this category. I like to just turn up who I already am. Uh, I just like to crank that volume a little. Um, And in the documentary, um, Angelique DeVille, who's a dear friend of mine and an excellent human, um, she said that her burlesque persona is basically her, but at a level 10. And I very closely identify with that. There are certainly performers who create a whole alternate persona. And when they're on stage, they are entirely that persona um, and that character. And I, I don't identify with that as deeply. Um, and that mostly is just because I feel like my performances are kind of me, but just really cranked up, (laughs) like really, really turn that volume super high. Um, and so as a performer, I approach, um, the acts that I do and sort of the energy that I embody through those acts those are all things that I want to explore with myself and present to my audience to whatever reaction arrives. Yeah, we, we're, we're talking with Zora von Pavanin, and um, she was a, a star, uh, one of the performers in uh, Glitter Tribe Burlesque uh, documentary. But she's also many other things and, and works uh, in a lot of um, crafts and the costumes, uh, that she creates. Um, and, and so Zora, I'm going to, I, I, in, in talking about what we just did, a, a lot popped into my mind of, as far as, you know, identity in, in, in who we are. And, um, I was thinking about that in, in terms of myself in the sense of like, you know, here I'm a podcast host and I'm a union rep and I'm a dad. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of those type of, uh, pieces of ourselves that we, you know, that we get to talk about. And one of the main questions I've started asking guests are, uh, what they were like as uh, as as a young child, like you know, were you <laughs> uh-huh. were you were you were you always Queen Pavanine? I mean, were you always that, or you know, what were you like as a young child? Um, I'm pretty sure my mom would answer that question. 
in the affirmative. <laughs> um, so uh, I, uh, I'm an only child, which I think um, you might have some listeners out there that would just go, oh, everything makes sense uh, <laughs> when I share that bit of information. Um, so as a kid, uh, I was very curious and had my hands in a lot of things all the time. Um, my mom was a really uh, was is a really amazing mother and did such a great job for me as a young person. Um, I think reading me and understanding what I needed, there was always crayons around and colored pencils and clay and beads, and I was constantly making things and had my hand in things. So I was always a bit of a self-entertainer in that way. Um, you know, I, I was never bored. There was always something that I was doing or crafting or creating. And uh, I definitely enjoyed uh, performing. Um, my mom has these like really incredible old VHS uh, recordings of me like uh, I, I, I love dance when I was little. I took a lot of dance classes when I was little and I constantly was like, okay, mom, film me doing my routine, <laughs> which always looked like the same fucking routine <laughs> over and over and over. Um, it was usually to like Tiffany, I think we're alone now. So like shout out to all my babies. Oh, born in the wow. 80s. Oh, I was yeah. just oh, about yeah. to cheer. I was just oh, about shit. to cheer with the oh, Tiffany like, reference. Oh yeah. God. Like bangles in my room. Like, <laughs> oh God. Like, so like deep cuts there, but like, that's, that's really what it looked like. Um, so I love dancing. I love performing. Um, and I, I was always very captured even as a young child before I had any definition or any way to sort of declare that this was my intention. I really liked performing for people and just like very plainly said, I loved showing off. Like that was so much fun for me. I love to show off. Um, and I think that I always sort of found a channel to do that, even when I was like painting or drawing or like working with clay and making small sculptures, like doing all these things, like all of that was a way essentially to show off. And I don't mean to downplay it or degrade it whatsoever. Like I don't really regard the phrase showing off um, as a detriment or as derogatory. Um, I just think that there is that natural streak in me that was like, this is this thing I did. Who wants to share it with me? And I've always sort of had that streak. And as a performer, I also am a person who's very receptive to that. Like when someone wants to show off and share something that they made with me, I'm always just like a thousand percent here for that. <laughs> so that I guess is, is how I was as a young person and how that has contributed to me. Um, you know, being someone who like in my adult life, one of the things that I do is like, I continue to show off, <laughs> right? Like I continue to like, uh, show off, um, in all the ways that I can, whether it's like actually physically showing my body in public or being like, Hey, look at this really cool costume I made. Do you want to look at my brain? Right? Like, cause that's the same thing. Like, look at this really clever costume I made. I'm like, I'm showing off design skills. Um, so I think that as a young person, that was always something that I really liked engaging in. Um, and I think as an adult, I, that is still a very true statement. Yeah, and I can feel the uh, I, I can uh, one of the things that that's quite clear in in looking at the 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 work that you do and the things you've been interested in, and uh, we're going to get into one uh, that you had mentioned as far as running, um, but activities that seem to be, you know, like really intense in in yes. and you put energy into it and it uh -huh. comes it comes out of it and. Uh, you know, I think there's a contagious element to that, and I think there's a natural element where you know if you do those type of things, 
yeah, I mean, there is you're going to be showing off uh, yeah. because because you're that committed. It's it's you. You're in in it's a, for me. That's a very positive vibe. But I think it always tangles with, oh, be more humble or oh yeah, like you, you know don't that of course. And in 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 you know, and of course the dynamic can be different for you know different uh, genders as well as far as sure. how that you know works for folks. But about about running, um, uh, my I. I you, you mentioned uh, that that you would uh, run in the past. My my brother's a runner, and um, so I cool. uh, yeah. And one of the things that um, you know, as a runner, he started he started later in high school, and then I get to meet when he was in college his runner friends. And you know what what pulled me into runners is that was the intensity was that you know these are kind of like a different breed and and I could oh, yeah. understand them even though I wasn't quite like that um I know running's been very helpful for my brother over the, the years my son who's 16 just started running and which excited me so about about you what tell us about tell us about running and and and, and what that you know your history with that Wow. Uh, yeah, I, um, it's so funny. I'm very grateful that you sort of have uh, dug into my history a little bit based on the conversation we had, because I feel like I don't get to talk about that facet of myself, which I think really um, did a lot to develop me as a young person and as a human. Um, it's something that I really enjoy, uh, did enjoy. I don't run anymore. Um, but I, uh, I started running in middle school. And begrudgingly, like begrudgingly, my mom dropped me off at cross country practice every day. Um, but then I had my first meet uh, and I did really well. And then all of a sudden it was this thing that I was interested in because apparently I was good at it. And I didn't have much of a frame of reference. I grew up in a pretty small town. So it wasn't like I knew about like neighboring schools and like other competition. Um, I think that access to that information exists so differently now because of social media and because of the internet and like accessibility to stats. But it was, it, it, it wasn't what it was today, of course, when I was in middle school and high school. Um, so I ran through middle school. Um, I ran through high school. Um, I was very good. I had a lot of success. Um, I, um, have a wall full of hardware and metals, um, that I worked very hard for. And, uh, it was a really phenomenal experience to be part of. Um, my high school team was this very tight knit group of humans. And we are what you would call a shallow team, meaning that we didn't have a lot of runners. So for anybody out there listening, the way that, uh, cross country is scored, um, at meets is that each runner places and their place is their ranking. So if you come in 10th, you earn 10 points for your team. So the lower your score, the better. Generally, if you win the race, you collect zero points for your team, even though one point would not be, you know, much different than that. Um, that's the benefit of the person who wins the race. So when you have a more shallow team, uh, means that everyone has to be very good because only the first five runners are scored. So if you're not a team that's like 10 people or 15 people deep, the few runners that you have all need to be very good because if, say, something happens on the course and somebody gets injured, whatnot, um, you know, you might not even place because you might not even have five people cross the finish line. So we were incredibly strong um, for four years 
we won the girls 3A state meet, which our fourth year um, was a record breaker. It had never been done in the entire history of Oregon cross country, regardless of school class, like 2A, 3A, 4A, so on, and regardless wow. of and regardless of gender. So when we won our third year, um, we started to turn a lot of heads and then we came back and we brought the title home that fourth year and being involved in a team that kind of just like, I kind of want to say like out of nowhere, we were just like, we were just really good. And you know, we were just like this group of kids in this tiny town waking up every day at six in the morning and go putting in like three miles, five miles, and then like daily doubles, right? Like showing up that afternoon to do more work, like whether it was speed work on the track or like a hill workout. Um, we had a really incredible coach um, who read us very well and gave us an incredible training program and coached us through all of those years to that victory and that very like illustrious sort of place in history. And it was a really remarkable time to sort of reflect on being such a young person and not really, you know, like your life is like one inch tall at that point. You have no life experience. You don't even (laughs) know what the fuck you're doing. And when I look back on what I accomplished and the effort that I made without even really understanding that it was effort, I'm, I'm still to this day blown away. And I look at the fact that like six other people sort of like got in the boat and rode and that we all did that together. Um, like you can't even commit, like you can't commit to this. You can't commit to that. You can't get a friend to like meet you for lunch without being 20 minutes late. Like all these things that we sort of experience as adults and as humans in like modern society with technology that allows us to cancel or to ghost or to change plans at the last minute. So when I look back on like my high school days where like you said you were going to be somewhere and you needed to show up because that's just what you did. And that for four years I showed up for running. I showed up for cross country practice, like putting in a hundred miles a week and you know, for anybody in your audience who's listening that knows about running, like (laughs) running like five miles worth of quarters on the track in the rain and then like go running a five mile cool down. Um, that was just like this really wild and intense thing that we just did. And we had no space in our brain to even understand how intense, what it was that we were doing because it was like, Oh, like we just have this really hard workout today. And sort of as I've matured into a, a college runner and now into someone who running is part of my past and no longer something that I currently do, I still marvel quite a bit um, at the work that was put in and the time that was put in and the mental tenacity and like the physical stamina that I accomplished as such a young person. Like that always is a, is a very proud spot for me because I could not touch that today. I, I, I don't have that desire to be at that level anymore. And I know what it takes to get there. And so it kind of just resides for me in this place of like this really sweet part of what formed me as the person who has the resilience and the stamina that I have today, even though it's directed, you know, towards different activities. I think that it's when you're describing and I could just, you know, listen to you talk about that. But I think what's most important that I, that, that really struck me is that that you're proud of it. You know, yeah. like this is like you held on to it. I think a lot of 
times we look back or we did something really, really good, really, really intense. We did it really, really well. But yet, you know, we're not honoring that and in, 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 right. in, in, in proud of that. And, I, and I've heard you talk, you know, uh, in, in such a way where I think you really help pull that out. But I can hear it in your voice. And, and mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> it's 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 good. And you get the medals. You got the medals to prove it, too. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it's really funny. Um, I think that there was a it, it's interesting because, of course, you know, you're talking to me today and this is how I arrived to these answers today. There was definitely sort of a streak in my life post college when I decided to quit running and I decided to quit the team. Um, I, you know, I didn't finish out my college career. Um, and largely that was because I think I realized that a lot of my enjoyment for running was derived from the people that I was doing it with and being on a really close knit team and college was just very different dynamic. Um, you know, people have classes at all different times. So there was no such thing as like coming together as this team to do that morning workout and like putting in the time on those daily doubles. And I also went to a D3 school, like running was not a priority for me, um, but it was still important. Um, and uh, the training program was just really different. Um, and so I just, I, I found that my my love for it and my reasons for it became very clear once the environment shifted so drastically. Like I would have never been able to articulate to you in high school why I loved running so much. It was when I left that environment and entered a new environment wherein running was the constant, but everything around it changed, that I was able to identify what had been the thing that had kept me there. So um, that being part of why I left it to go into other things and also being what sort of drove me into dance because I did start dancing in high school and I kind of got in trouble. (laughs) Like my coaches were like, you're doing what on Tuesday afternoons? I was like, it's just a little dance class. And then it kind of sparked this whole thing of like, well, you're going to get injured. Um, And I was like, well, I'm going to get injured probably running a hundred miles a week. Let's be real. And not taking like (laughs) an an afternoon hip hop class. Like I'm pretty sure that like that would be the way that that would go. Um, But having, having, that to be proud of, of course, and to reflect on and have that be something that I've brought with me, um, to, to look at those medals on the wall and to know that I did walk through a bit of a shame spot when I quit in college, I kind of didn't want to look at the medals. Um, I didn't want to know anything about them. Like there's actually like, I think about a year and a half where I like adamantly told my mom to throw them away. (laughs) Um, yeah, it makes, it makes makes sense. It's a very real very real reaction to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that as an adult and as someone who has done a lot of work on themselves and can clearly separate, um, being egotistical about it from being solidly proud of all of the work that I put in, I'm now very proud of those medals. They don't like represent this thing that I did that I don't do anymore. So I don't get to own them. Right. And that was sort of the thing that happened was I sort of walked through this phase of like, well, I don't do that anymore and I'm not good at running anymore. So I don't get to own that. And I would, I would take a swing that that might not be an unnatural thing for people to experience as they sort of phase out of like, you know, the glory of high school and college 
athletics into a life that maybe doesn't include athletics at all. Um, and so that was sort of my process with it, but I do have the medals still. I have all of them. Um, and I'm like, I'm very proud of them. Like I, I just bought a house not too long ago and like, I'm totally planning to like put them up. <laughs> so like, yeah. that's sort of like the punctuation on it. Had you talked to me 10 years ago, like I might've said, uh, like, I'm not even available to talk about this right now, <laughs> but now it's just like, you know, I did that and I was really good. Um, and it helped form the person that you're talking to today. And that, that deserves its own page. Yeah, I, 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 and I, I, I appreciate you talking about it and in in your openness about your experience. I mean, it's it's a reflection of you know the growth that you have. But yeah, you could you could get rid of you get rid of the evidence, right? You know, in those <laughs> down times, or yeah. you could uh, you know put it up for different reasons. But um, and God bless my mom for like not listening to me. Like I'm pretty like, she, I mean, she raised a pretty powerful only child, my mother. So I was just like, mom, just throw them away. Like, I can't tell you how many conversations we had where I was like, mom, just get rid of them. I don't ever want to see them again. Like so dramatic. Well, <laughs> she didn't raise, like, but she also didn't raise somebody who is always right. And she probably no. knew that too. <laughs> like, God bless my mom, who was just like, cool. I can hear that my daughter is not ready. I'm just going to sit on this for a little longer. <laughs> ask, ask in a few more years and That's maybe right. I'll consider it again. Right? Jesus. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you mentioned, um, you mentioned uh, hip hop uh, dance and I know uh, that that's something um, that that's important to you. And I, I really like uh, hip hop and, and hip hop dance. Um, uh, what, how, how did that uh, work into your development, you know, you know, physically and with your body and, you know, dance styles? Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, like dance happened completely by accident. Um, I mean, typical, like I was in ballet and tap when I was little, like very little, maybe like five, six years old. Um, and then I went away from it. Um, and I, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but a friend of mine um, in high school that was also on the team with me, the cross country team, um, was like, there's this dance class that I want to go take. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. So we went and took this dance class. Um, so I grew again, I grew up in a really small town. So we had to go to the town nearby to find a dance studio. <laughs> it's like a one stoplight kind of place. Sure. Um, so we ended up going and taking this hip hop class. And I'm pretty sure it was on like a Tuesday evening. And I was just like, what in the fuck is this? And my <laughs> my brain just like lit up because I was just like running like any sport that you do is particular, right? It's, it's, it's so particular. Um, like swimming is repetitive and running is repetitive and like, you know, uh, like basketball and football, the drills are repetitive. And when you step into a dance class, there's all this like lateral breadth of like energy and, and like, and body movement. And it was so exhilarating for me to do such different things physically with my body than like being on the road or being on a trail or being on a track. And so that's sort of where it started. And I continued to take classes, uh, to the slight dismay of my coaches. Um, and when I got into college, like the 
very first thing, I'm not shitting you. The very first thing that I did was I found a dance studio and I started taking classes. And in hindsight, I guess I could probably very fairly say that that was maybe also part of how running began to phase out for me because I just found this new thing that I loved more that could take that could take up that space, that could sort of occupy that like pie wedge in my life. Um, so I took classes. Um, I was taking classes at a couple different studios. And then one of the studios that I was taking class at, I'd been consistently taking a class um, from a woman who um, was very kind and saw potential in me. And when another hip hop instructor left that studio, she went to the owners and said like, this girl is really good. She's been taking my class for a year. I think you should give her an opportunity to teach. And they did. They gave oh, wow. me this exact. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is right. <laughs> um, they gave me the slot that the other teacher had occupied and thus began my tenure as a dance instructor, um, which um, that was at um, the Viscount Dance Studios, which I would be so thrilled to give a plug to. Um, at the time, um, the owners, uh, they saw potential in me and they gave me an opportunity and, um, I stood tall in that opportunity and I, I did pretty well. Um, and I taught there, um, the studio then changed ownership and, um, the woman who took the studio over, her name is Sarah, she's a phenomenal human and a phenomenal teacher. Um, she, uh, had been a fellow instructor with me and, um, appreciated what I was bringing to the space. So I continued to teach, um, while she, um, is still the current owner of the studio, but for my time there, while she was the owner, um, and, uh, and it was actually only, I think about three years ago that I quit teaching. Um, I, I mean, it was never full time. I, I have a very uh, different day job, um, but that I, I quit teaching dance in the capacity that I was teaching, which was a couple times a week. Um, and, uh, and it was just time for me to be done with that. Uh, but it was a hugely important part of my life and it led me to burlesque. Um, the, the woman who, um, recommended me for the teaching job after a year, um, her name is Evie and she owns Vega dance lab, also an incredible studio in town. Um, she invited me to be part of a burlesque troupe that she started. And I think that was back in 2006. I think I have that year correct. Um, and so that was sort of hip hop was like the gateway to burlesque. <laughs> um, and so that's sort of this interesting unfolding of how it all started. And when we decided to start this burlesque troupe, like we did not know what the fuck we were doing. I didn't even know what pasties were. <laughs> I was like, I was like, sure, let's do this thing. And this was like, okay, well, like now we take our clothes off. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> wait a second. What did I, what did I sign up for? Wait, I'm sorry. What? Um, but that was sort of how it all got started. Um, and, but, but hip hop for me was this really beautiful dance that, um, I partook in, um, and enjoyed very thoroughly. I was so fortunate to have really incredible movers and dancers and choreography around me for my time with that dance platform. Um, and I feel very fortunate that I had the opportunities to teach and be an instructor in the way that I did, because I can count like, I don't know, a good 10 or 15 people in the burlesque community who came to the community through classes with me. They came and took a burlesque class and then they took another one and they took another one. I was like, hey, you should come to a show. And they did. And 
that has been a really awesome community builder. And I have friends in my life to this day who we met because they walked into my classroom um, and they have become family to me. So it's also just this really amazing right thing that I did um, that even though I like I no longer do it and I, I don't tend to talk about it that much, um, it brought all this remarkable growth and beauty and friendship and family um, into my life. And it has led to what I guess I would call a burlesque career. Um, so that, that's how all that started was me being a defiant 16 year old and like sneaking off to a dance class on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> the dance class. Yeah. The, I, I've heard you use the, the, the term family. Um, and, um, you know, and I heard it in, you know, the, the documentary, uh, glitter tribe. And I just wanted to let you know, I, uh, in watching that, I, I, I've watched it a couple times and I was just so moved by the components of each, each person, uh, in, in their struggle and their journey, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, but also the connections to each other as family, whereas like there's oh, yeah. so much intense activity. I think the way you talk about it is in, and in a few ways, but within, you know, the, the costume design and what you create to, mm-hmm. to wear, but that others have that same connection to what they're wearing, what they're doing and other forms of expression. But there's this huge family bond, uh, that was very apparent in that. And not only was I drawn by the individual stories, but the story of the family as, mm-hmm. as, as a whole. And it's like, I kind of felt I kind of feel like I it's it's strange and kind of arrogant, but they kind of know or they, there's oh, yeah. so much of so much of their humanity came out. It oh, felt yeah. like, huh, I know that person. Yeah. Um, uh, so in in do you want to talk about that uh, as far as the your family and the feelings um, when you've had these wor- working in these intense activities in areas um, of, of family that you've enjoyed? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's a really excellent question. And it's one um, that I always enjoy answering. And um, it's interesting because my my thoughts on this and my answer to it have really evolved over the years. There's always like small moments when I watch the documentary because there's some answers in there that I'm just like, oh, cringeworthy, just because I'm such a different person now than when the documentary happened. However, this family aspect... Um, is just absolutely the undercurrent of everything. And where, where my articulation of that feeling and of that gravity of connection and um, togetherness resides today is that there has been something for each of us in our lives where we were shamed or sort of made to feel small or by whatever degree could not live in the fullest expression of who we were. And burlesque for us in our way has provided the platform to go and live in that fullest expression. And It does not matter who you are when you find yourself 
in league with other people who are existing in that brightness and choosing to radiate themselves and their light in such a way. Connection is like, I mean, it, it, it's just the most natural thing because you stand next to this person and you go, I see you. And I will only speak for myself. Feeling seen um, has always been something that I've struggled with. Um, and real, like really fe feeling seen, you know, and, and a lot of the time, maybe that's been um, just by people that are friends or passing acquaintances. Sometimes it's been, you know, romantic partners. Um, and Alaska has been without exemption and without qualification, the only arena that I have felt 100% seen. Um, not only that confidence that like a knowing that I'm being seen, but the way that the audience as best I can understand, of course, is seeing me. And of course, backstage with my fellow performers. And so when you're standing beside someone and everyone is sort of grounded and anchored in that same desire to be seen and that same, just like, like you cannot repress the drive to express, right? There is just this fiber that is woven, that is, I, I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job of explaining it, but it's like, you kind of just have to know. And when you can be in that kind of communion with your own body, that clarity of presence of this is exactly where I want to be. And this is exactly what I want to be doing. And then you open your eyes and you have someone to the left of you and someone to the right of you who's also anchored in that same desire of intention and expression. I mean, what a wild thing. I, I, I joke all the time. Like I, 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 maybe like once or twice a year, I will have something backstage that will deeply overwhelm me to the point that I feel like you know, making a post about it. But the tone of that is always something to the effect of like, whatever you do in this lifetime, find that thing and that group of people that make you feel this way, that hold space for you and create this platform that you feel without apology, without exception and without qualification that you get to be the fullest expression of yourself and that you're doing it with a group of people who will witness you and see you in that. Like, I mean, how is there anything better? And so the family thread to me, that's what that's about. And performing is the sort of interesting thing, right? Like it's not like getting in a car and driving to work every day. It's like performances happen sometimes in very strange environments. Like we go onto stage in thousand dollar costumes, but we were fucking changing in a bathroom, like hovering over like 
yeah, <laughs> hovering yeah. over a urinal, you know? And so it's just this really like wild dichotomy, I think, that comes with any kind of performing arts where what you see on stage is really kind of dichotomous of potentially what's happening backstage. So that dynamic sort of fuels that connectivity because you are together in these really often uncomfortable and strange circumstances. And then you are also together on stage, like in the glory and in the receiving and in the sharing that you do with the audience and how, you know, I guess anybody can choose to not be present for that. I have chosen to be fully present for that um, and to deeply invest and engage and love the people um, that I do it with. That's it's it's extremely powerful your description of that. I, you know, there's one, those those moments you remember where something kind of changed in your thinking. And my the one analogy I had compared to what you, the dynamic of what you have said when people have your back or mm. there's somebody right next to you going to have you, you know, when I've been involved in kind of like pitched labor struggles, I work in the labor. Yeah. Movement. Oh yeah. And, um, you know, back in uh, Wisconsin with uh, with Scott Walker in 2011, attack, you know, direct attack against unions. And, mm. you know, we occupied the Capitol and it Amazing. was just, it was, yeah, it was just in a crazy time. But there was one time where I because it was slippery, it was cold, it was February in Wisconsin and I was outside and I slipped backwards and I think five or six people caught me before I had moved, wow. you know, towards the ground, like three, four inches. And I turned yeah. around and I'm like, I've been describing to workers what solidarity is or yeah. means or anything, but I just felt it, just mm-hmm. felt mm-hmm. it deeply mm-hmm. right there. And it was like, oh, okay. Not only did everybody have my back, I basically, you know, you know, literally, actually. Yeah. Just like <laughs> I basically almost didn't move, even though I had ready to slip on ice onto the ground. So, right. um, it, 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 just an extremely powerful experience in, and of course the way you describe, I think you, it, it, it was very powerful to hear that connection and to feel that connection. And I'm sure that's what I picked up on in the documentary and, and like I said, the connection to the people uh, in a short amount of time, a short documentary, um, able to connect to those folks. Now, within that, um, there's one piece that I think is really important. Again, getting back to your intense passion for what you do was you making, uh, creating your works of art, your costumes mm-hmm. and the incredible amount of you know, material, time, dedication, energy. Um, how does that that whole component um, fit with all the other type of intense activity that are connected to burlesque and to dance uh, for you? Yeah, um, gosh, that's a great question. And it also feels like such a big question for me because I have so many feelings on it. <laughs> um, I guess in short, to me, the costume is really like, it's really the package, right? It's like, literally, how do you want to present yourself, right? Present, but also the present. What are you wrapping yourself up in? How are you gifting yourself to the audience? And that is the, like, detail and dedication and hours of work part of 
the the whole like dog and pony show that my brain just lights on fire for. Like I love having like a pile of like 50,000 rhinestones and then like a week later I have a gorgeously crystalled costume. Like I did that. I I took a pile of things and I made them into something else. And like we can all agree that like everyone has different ideas of like what's interesting and what's beautiful, but I'm just like for me for my brain, I'm like oh my God, like, look at this thing, this pile of stuff, like makers are going to (laughs) make, and I'm going to take this pile of things that are not anything. And I'm going to make them into something really fucking gorgeous that people's like hearts are going to fall out of their mouths when I walk on stage. Like, oh yeah. And so (laughs) that's like the show off, right? Here's the show off again. This is where the show off shows up because I'm just like, "Mm, I really don't think 20,000 crystals is going to do it today. Let's order 30,000 more, you know? And I I uh, love the show off. The show off (laughs) is so much fun. The show off can keep talking. (laughs) Yes. Right. So I'm just like, oh my God, like what did the audience pay for? Like, if I don't leave you with your jaw on the floor, like going home confused about like what color today smells like, what the fuck did I really do to you? (laughs) Right? Like, come on. And so for me, like, that's my favorite thing is like, if I can walk out and make people like black out for just a couple of seconds because they don't even know what the fuck they're looking at. Great. Like my job is done and I earned that $15 that you paid at the door. (laughs) Like to me, like that's like, that's like the most fun part of it. So like I enjoy costuming, um, and I enjoy the tediousness of it. Like there are people who do not like rhinestoning. They will farm out their rhinestoning. Um, I am not a skilled sewer. I farm out most of the costumes that I perform in today. Um, my sewing skills are very basic. There are some pieces that I've made that I still perform in, but I, you know, reached a long time ago that threshold where my creative vision far exceeds my current ability. Um, and I have worked with one woman who has done all my costuming. She knows my measurements very well. Um, so she makes corsets for me. She does all these other things to me, uh, or for me. Um, and also I love that, right? Like, cool. My art gets to support somebody else's art. Like now I'm supporting two people like, and that is also kind of a huge part of it to me of like, um, how can we spread the wealth? Um, there are a lot of makers in the burlesque community, people who make costume pieces, people who make um, sort of like accessory pieces, robes, boas, uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, and it's all, I think, in a collective effort to be very presentational. Like, I don't think that anybody would probably argue with the statement, like, we really all love being show folk. Um, and while there is a large range of maybe what that looks like for everyone, we all love being show folk. And so sometimes that looks like a really extravagant costume. Sometimes that looks like an elaborate prop setup. Um, sometimes that looks like a very physical act, right? Where you're doing a very comedic piece or you're doing a very physically demanding piece. Um, for me, the way that I really enjoy expressing half of what I'm doing on stage, because half of it is like energy and presentation. For me, my other half of that is physically how I look and physically the costume that I arrive in. And, and, and for, for you, um, you know, I'd, I'd view the what you create, your performance in you, you know, I'd say, you know, that that's 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 art. Um, mm-hmm. And you brought up, you know, the pieces that you create are art. 
Um, for you, what what is art? I mean, I just call that art. I think it's sure. obvious to me, but for you, what 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 is art? Wow, um, great question. Um, I guess my first answer is, who am I to define art? <laughs> and my second answer would be, um, uh, I think that I would describe art as anything that gives someone a feeling um, that is um, outside of themselves. Uh, you know, I, I think that if we wanted to like brass tax it, um, art, maybe we can break it down into categories of like how art is physically represented. Like maybe you could say that music isn't art, but music can be artistic. Like music is music. Art is art. Does art hang on a wall? Um, does art sit in a three dimensional form in your living room? Um, is art expressed in a public space? Is art an installation that's temporary? Um, but for me, I guess, as someone who paints, um, and someone who has done a lot of art in her life, um, I used to be in the gallery world, blah, blah, blah. Um, don't do that anymore. It's a huge that's, that's not a blah, blah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is to say that, um, that's where, uh, that's where my uh, opinion of art or my sort of my way in sure. on what is art originates sure. from. And that would be, um, does it make you feel something? Um, because I think that that might be the only task of art is to make you feel something without any, uh, restraints on what it makes you feel. I think that art can make people feel enraged or impassioned or motivated or deeply sad. Um, or it can make you feel, uh, turned on or excited or elated or peaceful. Like it can be all those things. Is it, is it, is it? some kind of visual expression that makes you feel something. And I'm using the qualifier visual because again, like if we want to talk about other things, like yes, music is art. Um, but I guess for the sake of this conversation, um, we can sort of corral the question into like a visual expression since dance is something that you, you know, as an audience member, you watch visually. Um, so that, yeah. I guess that would be my answer. It's anything that makes you feel something, um, that maybe is expressed or created by another human. Yeah. And I, I think as I've gone to explore, you know, the, the question of this show, um, something rather than nothing, it, 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 it's all tied to processes in, in, in art and, you know, what people, you know, how people are defining, um, how people are defining art and, and why they do it. I think in thinking about this show thus far, I've had a very different type of thinkers in, in yeah. artists, but I was, I wondered, and you've helped me get my head into this about, you know, when there's a performance aspect to the art, right? I think it's a little bit easier to look at a painting, put it up on the wall, see that it's beautiful, say, wow, that's an art piece. I think when things are kinetic and they have this energy and they have highs and lows and, and they, they could be long, they could, you know, that are moving. Um, it's certainly art, uh, without, without a doubt, but I think it presents more challenges, you know, to say, you know, where the art is and is it the whole movement is the whole performance. Um, right. you know, seeing some of the clips of your performance as a whole, like, again, you're wearing these beautiful artistic pieces, but you're also using those pieces to uh, create an active and vibrant uh, performance for the whole art show, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, so. yeah, um, yeah. That's a really unique perspective, right? It's the same idea of like buying a meal or paying for a massage versus like 
buying clothing, like the exchange of tangible goods. Like I pay money, I take home a poster that hangs on my wall that I define as art versus I paid money to go to a show to watch a thing that has a very specific end and start time. And I don't take anything home with me except feelings, right? So I think that that's where the idea of if it makes you feel something, um, because it is like, it's really wild to pay for an experience instead of a thing. So, you know, you can make a choice to go invest in performance art, which is kind of, I guess, the category that I would loosely throw burlesque into, um, as an entertainment medium, um, that you, that's how you choose your, that's how like you, you choose what, is art for you that you're going to go spend money on a thing that you don't physically get to take anything home with you afterwards. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting exchange, right? Which is sort of where I always want to stand very tall in my intention and my effort as a performer where like, right. That whole thing, like, did I make you black out in the first few seconds that I walked out because my costume was so sparkly and overwhelming to you? Great. (laughs) I just did my job, right? Like it's really fun to talk about this, but like, that's sort of my job. My job is to kind of be here to be impressive. <laughs> like you're paying me to be more impressive than anything that you would see on the street. That's why you're, <laughs> that's right. That's why you're paying me to be here. And I like, I, I, you know, I'm on a stage, right? Like that's kind of this like really like literal translation of what performing is. Um, I'll kind of like do a sidebar that that was absolutely no dig on anyone who does art in the street or does street performances. It wasn't meant to say that at all. Um, but like, that's kind of the exchange that the audience enters into when they choose to go to a venue and spend money to see a performance. It's a different, it's also a different economy. I understood what you're saying because it's, it's, it's a different economy and there's different expectations inside and outside. And then of course, if it's outside on the street in Portland, who knows, Who knows what it'll be that that's right. that's uh, you know that's that that's outside on on the street. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the one of the things you had mentioned that I wanted to ask you a bit uh, uh, about is um, uh, painting. You said you had painted. Uh, I was just I was just interested to say a couple words about like you know when you did that or how that form of expression you know what that did for you and whether you still do it. Yeah. Oh, um, thank you. I love painting. Um, painting is still very much with me. Uh, I think I've been painting since before I can remember. Um, I have a couple of really tender photos of me as a very young person, maybe like three or four. Um, my, uh, dad, um, used to paint and I just, I, I have a couple of memories of sort of sitting on the floor with him getting to just like mud out the corner of a piece of watercolor paper. Cause that's sort of what you do until you know anything about colors is just everything turns to mud. Um, so I've been painting for a long time. I love painting very much. It's very dear to me. Um, it is a huge part of my artistic expression. Um, I do love to draw. Um, I like to color. Um, I have a, a pretty, um, expansive, um, library still of, of marking tools from like pencils to crayons to pastels. 
Um, and it's still a, a huge, uh, it's still a huge part of my life. Um, I've had to do a lot of moving around in the past couple of years and I've always managed to like paint a mural in every apartment that I've lived in. Um, and they've not always been like these huge elaborate, like when you see a, a mural on the street that uh, whatever. Um, but there's always just been a little something that I found to make this sort of like strange box living a little bit more interesting. I like um, that. So, I like yeah. That. <laughs> um, so yeah, painting is very much still with me. Um, I also love, uh, like house painting, um, painting walls, painting stripes on walls, um, giving a wall an interesting texture with, you know, a pattern, um, is also something I really love doing, um, like to a very sort of like extreme degree. <laughs> like I fucking love to paint stripes and it is the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to get like a tight line and to make it look really good. But just like, Oh, when that tape comes off, Yes, please. <laughs> so like if any of your listeners are out there and like want to hire somebody to like really fuck up their dining room with some gorgeous pinstripes, you can call me. <laughs> you're you're that, that amongst all the other activities, you can you can also do that. And the uh, the the results, the end results for you, you know, being incredibly satisfying. Oh, so as well. are. And guess what? I will totally wear my like Rosie the Riveter boiler suit because that's what I paint in when I do any painting around the house. So like I'll also look really awesome while I do it. <laughs> now you now you're looking to create an industry uh, very, very, very quickly. Yeah. Pinups uh, who paint. Right. 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 Uh, and, and everybody needs a lot more painting, a lot more different type of painting right now. I uh, I started painting a couple of years ago and I, 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 I love it. It's been mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I've, I've been grappling with my frustrations within it, but I think in a healthy way. Um, but when I create something that I really love, I feel like I've it's like I've written something the right way or I've said mm -hmm. something just the right way or I finished my speech. And I think it was remarkably uh, persuasive, like that type of feeling. Yeah, um, I love that. I, I feel like as as a maker and as a creator, um, I, I know I know that feeling that you're talking about. And um, what, uh, so we're talking with uh, Queen. We, do you ever we ever called Queen Zora uh, von Pavanine? <laughs> um, I get a lot of iterations because, of course, I'm I'm Zora von Pavanine on Facebook. Um, but my Instagram handle is Queen Pavanine. Yes. Um, so a lot of people backstage I will just shorthand it and call me ZVP. Um, and some people um, do call me Queen Zora. Some people call me the Queen. Um, there's a lot of different sort of iterations and all of them are great. You know, it's like mm -hmm. anybody who does for less fucking, they have 20 names anyway. So it's like, it's like whatever you want to call me, it's fine. Track of names. <laughs> ZVP, I would immediately thought, cause we, we talk about comic books and graphic yeah. novels yeah, and yeah. movies. There's AVP, which is aliens versus predator. predator. And, and now I know that what the Z uh, VP is, you know, and with our names, I say this is Volante. Uh, this is Ken Volante recording Zora von Pavanin. Yeah, it's just yeah. a lot of uh, alternating between consonant and vowels almost all the way through uh, right. that that tagline. Um, <laughs> the name of the podcast is something rather than nothing, and that's a big question I asked Zora, and I'm hoping you have the answer to it. Oh, Why shit. is there what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, this is episode number 10. I keep asking folks this question. It's an intimidating one, but this is episode 10, Zora, not to put any pressure on you, but why is there something rather than nothing? Because you can. 
to me, the answer is because you can. Uh, if you could do something rather than nothing, if you could be something rather than nothing or do something further than what you've already done, why wouldn't you? Uh, I, that, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I have more to say on it than that. Like, the answer is why wouldn't you? Yeah, you if can just, you can just, yeah, it's, uh, like, why the fuck not? Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think a lot of the art that you do is inspirational in such a way. I mean, I was even going to ask, you know, why do you create? I think most of what you talked about is why you create because of the intense, the intensity that you feel for it, the authenticity um, it, the, that 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 really comes through. Uh, Zora, um, I, I want to just kind of at, at the end here, have it open ended. Um, I think there's a lot of things you talked about. Uh, in the interview that that people would really be interested in as far as maybe things you create or you is there anything you want to share with 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 listeners about maybe ways to connect to what you do and uh, you know um, you know uh, the type of art forms you know that that you love and participate in sure um, I hate to do like social media plug but honestly um it's just this sort of currency that we all sort of have bought into that I think a lot of people aren't that excited about anymore, but we, we have created this infrastructure and currently there are not that many solutions out of it. However, um, one second, do, one second, oh. Zora, I need, I need show off Zora right now. Oh, oh dang. Oh, show dang. off Zora. Oh, hey, hey, all you fabulous listeners out there. If you want to know what I'm up to, you should go to Instagram and check out Queen Pavanine. Uh, so how's that for a plug? <laughs> that's, that, that, that's good. I know the show off one was in there. I, 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 we all have different iterations of our, uh, personality and, um, you know, and part of this too is, uh, you know, when I, I mentioned about popular philosophy or whatever this is, right. Whether it's sure. art, whether it's psychology, whether it's the things that we're doing. Um, I know you spend a lot of time creating what you're creating and that's why I encourage the, the 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 show off Zora because it's it's I think it's a lot of fun I think the, the it's infectious uh, in the sense of 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 creating and so um yeah um the, your Instagram uh is is, is fantastic and oh, um uh, the documentary of course um is Glitter Tribe um uh, burlesque is is that the proper title is is um, Actually, I have a little bit of trivia for you on that. If you're okay, interested. could you do that? Yeah, great. The, the the original title of the documentary was Glitter Tribe, but because we got picked up by Netflix and we started having this conversation with them sort of in tandem, they sort of alerted us that, or, or we were able to come into the data that because so much scrolling happens, people sort of tune out after they get through the first few letters of the alphabet when they're searching for things to watch. Oh. So it was determined that creating a name that started with a very early letter in the alphabet would be to everyone's benefit. Thusly, burlesque, heart of the glitter tribe, became the final iteration and title of the documentary. And, and, and I'm sure, too, there must have been another executive somewhere who was saying, well, what about the photography? What about the pictures? Who's on the cover? And what about these fantastic costumes? I think that might draw people, too. But that explains the mm -hmm. beat. That yes. explains the, the B. Well, um, and people also, I mean, Glitter Tribe is sort of an internal 
um, it's an internal expression. And so I, I think it was also sort of established that like, um, it may have been too much of an internal reference. Um, and so it was then sort of established that we needed something that clearly announced to an unknowing audience what the documentary was or what the content of the film was going to be. Yeah, I think that makes, uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and on that too, I, 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 I'm I'm glad I remembered to to ask you uh, this. If you can let um, the performers um, who are in that documentary uh, just know that I said uh, hello and um, really <laughs> appreciated um, just their honesty. I laughed so much at that. I had such uh, it was just such an enjoyable uh, piece. And of course, I um, was able to connect um, with you in your artwork and. Um, uh, so I, I, you know, want to express my, my honest gratitude, uh, to, yeah. to all of them yeah, and yeah. And to you, Zora, um, it, it's been an incredible chat. It's been wonderful to talk to you and, and to learn and, and experience your, just your energy and zeal towards what you do and, and what you create. And I just want to let you know, um, that I'm, I'm very thankful for your time and for, you know, being excited and being on um, this podcast. Lovely. Well, I'm very happy to have been invited, and it was uh, it was really lovely to chat with you. And I'm I'm very honored and humbled to be here. So thank you. Thank you so much, Zora, and um, I hope you have a great rest of the evening. I will. Thank you so much, Ken. You are listening to something rather than nothing. <laughs>